Hello and welcome. You're listening to Do Less Bad, that podcast about how companies can do less bad in order to do more good. Let's get right into it with your co-hosts, Jason and Madeline. And thank you so much, Jenny. And we're back with another episode of Do Less Bad, a new way to do more good. I'm your co-host, Jason Anthoin. During the day, I run a firm called Audacity. We help companies inform, involve, and inspire their employees. You can find out more at thinkaudacity.com. Joined, as always, by our co-host, Madeline Temple. Madeline. Thanks, Jason. I'm the brand strategist behind Collective Identity. In my day job, I tell companies how to talk about who they are and what they do to employees, customers, investors, partners, journalists, and six-year-olds. You can find out more at thecollectiveidentity.com. Fantastic. So we've got a great episode uh, for you this week. Uh, We're looking forward to sharing some thoughts. Um, Madeline, why don't you kick us off? Today, we're talking about how to do less bad by making the tough decisions that may impact, in fact, they're going to likely impact, short-term profits, but yet they may ultimately result in long-term gains. So to make it more personal, it could even result in your career or organization surviving and thriving in the long-term. The short-term, of course, could be something else. (laughs) And as I was thinking about this, uh, an intro, in fact, to all of this, a mailing list email came to me from the author James Clear. And it popped up, and there was this quote in it from the philosopher and priest Franz Brentano, and from the book, On the Several Senses of Being in Aristotle. And let me go on record, I have not read it, okay? I am <laughs> quoting from a book I have never read. You get better but emails than I do if you're I getting do. those types of things. <laughs> I know, like, this is a great quote. <laughs> I love so it. what the quote is, what is at first small is often extremely large in the end. And so it happens that whoever deviates only a little from truth in the beginning is led farther and farther afield in the sequel and to wow. errors which are a thousand times as large. Oh my gosh, that, that, that is so true. You know, you think of all the times where you just tell it like a little white lie and the next thing you know, you have to change your name and move to another country. Exactly, and your witness protection, it's, 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 it just blows up and you're thinking, oh, just don't lie, okay. Uh, no, I've got a lot of friends who are engineers and are in construction and they talk about that all the time like for example you know you're building a bridge across a gorge and it just gets off just like by like half an inch right at the very beginning it's not enough to be noticeable and who cares it's just a half an inch but as the people are building from the other side and you're building from your side by the time you meet in the middle you're both off by like 50 feet on either side not an inch anymore or even a half an inch it's 50 feet now it's amazing just how you know just that one little deviation over that just fairly short expanse can just end up with such a huge, large gap. And I can certainly see how that's true with lying and anything else that, you know, you're not keeping your eye on as you're making that progress. You're not. And I think that's a fabulous example of what it was. It was just one minor thing. I don't even, I I didn't even think about it when I was doing it or not for more than a second. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet it comes back to haunt you. Oh, man, it's it's frustrating because you're right. You're not even really thinking about it at the time. Or if you are, you're like, eh, that's not a big deal. And then it becomes a huge deal. Well, in fact, that's that's what got me thinking about what happened with McKinsey. 
And, you know, this was a few months ago, admittedly, but, you know, hey, in some ways it's more fun to talk about this now after all of the buzz is gone. (laughs) But, you know, a few months ago, Kevin Sneeder was voted out as the managing partner by his fellow McKinsey colleagues. And McKinsey, for anyone who's not familiar, the global powerhouse blue blood consulting firm, management consulting firm. Right. And the breaking point for for Sneeder's colleagues, at least publicly, was McKinsey having to pay a $573 million fine for its role in advising Purdue Pharma on how to maximize profits, which is exactly what McKinsey does. Right. But in this case, they were advising them how to maximize profits by pushing opioids and getting millions of people addicted and addled by the medication. <laughs> oh my god. Right? That's just that just sounds evil, doesn't it? It just sounds on the surface it just sounds evil. It it, it you know it's one of these things that down the road, right? When as you were giving the example with the the engineers and the bridge uh-huh. is not meeting uh-huh. and you're Faced with a $600 million fine, Neelier, your colleagues have kicked you out of being managing partner, and you have addicted millions upon millions. You've, you've, people have died. Right. Families have been destroyed. Right. And you go, well, but our job was to maximize profits. Yeah. And, you know, but there is this part of me that, that can see how it actually did happen. I'm not trying to defend what happened, but go, sure. well... You know, here's the thing. If, if we break it out and we take away the emotion, if right. you really want to maximize profits, here's what you do with doctors. Here's how you run a pill mill. And you you separate out the repercussion right. of what you're doing. You know, we've all sat in those brainstorm sessions like that. And they're like, oh, all right, our client wants us to help them maximize profits. What can we do? And people just start throwing ideas up on the whiteboard. One of them was probably, hey, why don't we try this? And everybody just kind of laughed it off until they thought about it and go, you know, that just might work. Work! <laughs> and, you know, let me let me be a little bit fair to McKinsey and, and say, well, I was clearly not in those meetings. I don't work for McKinsey. I never have sure. worked for McKinsey. Right. But I'm not sure that Purdue was actually giving them the information that said, oh, by the way, these are exceptionally addictive medications, hmm. and we could potentially kill hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I think that's very accurate, you know, based on only on what I've read and sort of what we all know that's publicly available. It feels like that probably was true. Um, per, you know, Purdue just wasn't being as honest as, as maybe they could have been or should have been. And McKinsey, you know, just doing what they thought might be best and ended up just going way off in, in, in a wrong direction. In the wrong direction. And again, I'm not remotely trying to defend either. Right. I'm just saying, what would have happened to me if I'd been in that room on day one? Right. You know, what I've been saying, are we going to kill people? Are we going to get people addicted? Are we going to be blights on communities? Right. Yeah. And even if you ask those questions, you might have been getting the right answers from, you know, the client themselves, even though they weren't truthful. That would be enough to just kind of keep pursuing that strategy. And then ultimately you find out, holy crap, (laughs) there was all this stuff that if we had known that, we never would have pursued this strategy. Right. And, you know, I'm certainly hoping that's what would have been McKinsey's answer. I'm never going to know. But it did get me to thinking about companies who have been faced with tough decisions and did they what did their mission or their purpose or their values say 
about actions they should take or not take mm-hmm. and what were what were the long-term and the short-term effects of it. Yeah. And so, of course, the first example that came to mind, it's, a, it's an absolute classic right. uh, in terms of doing what's right. And that is Johnson & Johnson and the Tylenol scare, which happened back in September of 1982. Mm. And uh, for anyone who is not around then or who doesn't remember that, what happened was that seven people died in the Chicago area after taking cyanide-laced capsules of extra-strength Tylenol. And that was J&J's best-selling product. And what J&J did became just PR lore of just the right things to do. Right. So from a corporate perspective, it was the right thing to do. But I also want to say from a just a human perspective, right, <laughs> it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, and what they did was they pulled every bottle off the shelf. And uh, they took it out of circulation. Mm-hmm. And um, they said that they, they went on air. Their CEO went on air. He said it's an act of sabotage. They pulled the products, as I said, and they came back onto the market a couple months later with tamper-proof packaging, huge media campaign, and people were saying that they were never going to recover from this. Mm-hmm. But in fact, a year later, so in 1983, uh, even though their market share had plunged to 7% when they had to pull everything, right? Um, it had climbed back to 30%. And even after that, they actually even had more market share than when they originally went into it. Mm-hmm. But what I found most interesting about their whole reaction to it is J&J has a credo that says, we believe our first responsibility is to the patients, doctors, and nurses, to mothers and fathers, and all others who use our products and services. In meeting their needs, everything we do must be of high quality. Mm-hmm. And if that's their credo, which they have, mm-hmm. where they work, that's exactly right. what they did when they pulled these products. Right. The tampering was, they, they've never found who did the tampering. Yeah. But it happened, they took action, they were very vocal and transparent about what they were doing, and they did the right thing. Yeah. And they were rewarded for it. And by rewarded, I mean trust wasn't broken. People forgave them. And in fact, they came back even greater from before. But what I find so fascinating about this, though, is they had this, you know, they were one of the top companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And what I find, what I'm wondering now is where that wrong decision then took place. Because Mm. after doing all of that and after having just phenomenal years of success, Mm -hmm. recently what's happened is they have been caught up. They They have been part of the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. They have talcum powder lawsuits. They have mm-hmm. pelvic mesh lawsuits. Mm-hmm. And their stock price, or being one of the most admired companies, they've taken quite a tumble. They're not doing as well as they did in their heyday. And I sit here and go, well, where did you deviate from your credo? Mm-hmm. How did you get embroiled in the opioid crisis? Right, right. And they take that credo very seriously there. Um, you know, for most of the people who work there, it's not just words on paper that, you know, it's on a wall, uh, or it's part of their employee orientation. They truly take that seriously. And, you know, it brings up a great point about where those decisions are made or how they're made. Um, and a lot of times, you know, in, in my work, I'm sitting there in, in, in these kinds of meetings where companies want to, um, develop new values and mission and vision and, and, um, guiding principles and one of the first ones they always say is mutual respect we're going to have mutual respect here and then come to find out there's a 
fairly senior leader who's been there forever, who drives a whole lot of revenue and a whole lot of sales, but is horrible to everyone that he works around. And so how do you say that mutual respect is one of the things that we prize around here and value around here, but then you sort of put up with that type of behavior and the signal that that sends to all the rest of your employees that says, all right, despite what they have printed out on this very large poster in our conference room about what we believe in, we believe in that until it potentially is going to affect our sales. And then we just kind of, you know, give people a pass. Right. Or, you know, until actually the person who brings in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Right. We don't want to touch that person. That's right. That's exactly right. It's 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 incredibly frustrating, you know, for all the employees who work there who truly believe, all right, this is a reflection of who we are and our character as a company and what we believe in and, and things that no one's going to budge on. And then stuff like that happens and it, it just makes them question everything about that whole working relationship. I agree because while I, I haven't followed J&J very closely, if you think about what happened in 82 and the CEO stood up and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what everyone says we shouldn't, which is we're going to pull all product off the shelf. You just can't buy it. And we're mm-hmm. going to figure out how to make this tamper-proof. And we're going to do the right thing. We're going to lead our, live our credo. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that is a positive trickle-down effect. So what happened at the top, I'm assuming somehow, mm-hmm. that you have an opioid crisis that J&J is a part of, that there are, are pelvis mesh lawsuits against you how did you forget to put the customer first? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it, you know, it makes you really wonder, are the, t- are the times now so different than they were in 1982 or 1882, where it makes it more difficult to, to try and do the right thing? Or is it because of global marketplaces? Is it about the litigious societies? Is it about market share or, you know, the 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 hit that the brand, the global brand is going to take as a result. I don't know. It's just, it, it's all kind of complicated. But when you really just sit and think about it for a minute, if this is truly the credo and what you believe in, then what are you going to do to, and and what is everything that you're going to do to, you know, really live by that and, and, and not just have it be, you know, fantastic words, but every now and then we have to, you know, kind of ignore them. Exactly. And if anything, this then made me think about CVS, so the huge drugstore chain. And CVS's mission, their corporate mission, is to help people on their path to better health. Mm -hmm. Now, my mantra is clear, simple, and true. So I go, well, that's clear, simple, and true. Mm -hmm. Hey, I understand that. There's absolutely no gibberish in it. And if you have values, which they do, around that include caring, integrity, and accountability, then guess what? And in 2004, CVS did this. They stopped selling cigarettes and mm-hmm. all tobacco products at more than 7,600 stores in the U.S. Mm. And they, they were, their plan was to do that by October 1st, 2014. They mm-hmm. did it. They were estimating they were going to lose $2 billion in sales. But they said, you can't have a mission about helping people on their path to better health and selling tobacco. Right, right. And so they they said, well, then we're going to stop. And they did. Yeah. And it does. I mean, that feels like a long timetable, but it's not. By the time you figure out how to sort of unwind all of that uh, and all the logistics and everything else that's involved with it, and then 
what are you going to do to make up that revenue? How are you going to are you going to be able to attract new customers because of this stance? And what are they, you know, what are they, what kind of products and things are they interested in that you could sell instead? It takes a while to kind of get all that defined, but good for them for drawing a line in the sand and then actually sticking to it when the deadline came. They did. They they did it. And they, you know, their sales have actually more than rebounded and more than made up for that loss in the years since. And regardless what, you know, what has happened in the last year, in the last year and a half, whatever mm-hmm. you may think about the healthcare system, mm-hmm. my goodness, kudos to them for walking away from $2 billion in sales because you know what? The other, the other chains didn't do it. Right. And I, I'm not judging them for it, but I'm just saying here's an example of a company that said here is what our mission says. Yeah. And if we're going to le- live that mission, then there's going to be an economic outcome of that, and we're that's willing right. to take the hit. That's right. And that's really you know what it comes down to. It's because it's easy for marketing and PR people and leaders to sit there together and go, here's what we really believe. But then when it comes down to actually making business decisions around that, that, that really drive that and support that and underline that... A lot of times they'll shy away from those things. But so it's good to see that not only do they say they believe it, but they actually make decisions to show how they believe it. They did. And and they were rewarded in the sense that when they, once they stopped sending them, they saw that their overall sales did actually increase in the three years after. Some of that, a lot of it was actually due to the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. But it's it's nice to see they got rewarded for doing the right thing. That's right. That's right. I think, you know... If more of those things worked out that way, then maybe people would be more inclined to do that more regularly. Well, I think what I, I think people and, and everyone's guilty of this, including me, right? You you just say, Oh, here's cause and effect and you say it's a straight line. Mm-hmm. And it's it reminds me a little bit of about careers, right? People go, Oh, well, a career is an upward trajectory. No, a career is a zigzag. Yeah. And I think some of these decisions are actually zigzag decisions of you say, I'm going to do A, B is going to occur, and B may occur, but you didn't account for C, D, and E, but in a really positive way. Right. That's right. Or A and a half, you know, a between, a <laughs> between A and B. Uh, all kinds of things changes, and maybe maybe that helps you, and maybe that hurts you even worse. But if you decide to make that choice, you, to your point, it's not a straight line. It is always zigzag. Yeah. And talking about a zigzag, I have to talk about Chewy. Mm-hmm. So I, I am not a pet person, not because I don't like animals. I'm just too incredibly allergic, and I don't want snakes, and I don't have a good track record with fish. But we're going to leave it at that. Okay. But the company Chewy, which is the equivalent of Amazon, they want to be the Amazon of pet food. So their mission is to be the most trusted and convenient online destination for pet parents and partners mm-hmm. everywhere. We view pets and pet parents as family and are obsessed with meeting their needs and exceeding customer expectations through every interaction. So that's their mission statement. Some of their values include ideas like customers first, earn trust, deliver results, act like an owner, keep Mm -hmm. it simple. And the reason I bring up Chewy is I had read about, I was online, I was supposed to be doing something else, and I got sucked <laughs> into one of those feel-good stories of the day. But what happened was a customer contacted Chewy to stop their order. 
and it was a monthly order of pet food, something along those lines. And the reason that they were canceling their order was their pet had died. So they're talking with the person, you know, it comes out, they're canceling because the pet died. And the customer service person does everything, you know, cancels the order, all done. And the next day or a few days later, the customer receives a bouquet of flowers from Chewy. And they were writing about, I cancel my order and I get sent flowers. Right. And I'm thinking, they sent you flowers. How uh, uh, you talked to a person who had a heart and said, yeah. how awful you basically a loved one has died. Yeah. And forget about the money. Forget about the lost business. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to send you some flowers. But we're so sorry. Yeah. I mean, that's such a human response. And it's not a corporate response. And it's probably not in a manual anywhere. But it You're can, wrong. It's in page 342. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a human response, you know, and particularly if, if they're saying our mission statement is is we love pets and we're passionate about pets and the people who own them. For them to not do something like that, I think, would speak volumes about whether they truly believe that, you know, what what they say they're passionate about. And to actually, you know, do something like that, whether it's in the manual or not. Just it sends such a message, um, and it's, it's such an opportunity, I think, for for that company and all companies to be more human and, and treat folks like that. I, I I can't believe it's on page three forty two or any page whatsoever in the manual, but right. you know that's that's me having a big heart moment. But right. I I thought that was actually really phenomenal, and yeah. I'm sure that's not the first customer who's lost a pet who's received flowers from them. Right. But I thought it was such a classy thing to do, such a kind thing to do. And again, a little bit like CVS, a little bit like J&J when they did the right thing in 82 of going, I can't imagine how the rewards for doing something good, for doing something nice Mm -hmm. are, are probably fourfold because, and in ways you just can't even see as in no doubt that person is going to be telling their 10 closest pet family, friends, lovers, members, Look what this company did for me. Right. I mean, look at you. You're not even a pet person. And now you know what Chewy really stands for and what they're really about, whether you're ever going to buy anything there or not. They've already cemented who they are and what they believe in with you, whether you're a customer or not. And that doesn't seem to be the point. You know, it's if they're there to, to build their brand reputation and do the right thing, then that means doing the right thing no matter what the outcome is, positive or negative. I agree. So I, I would love to be in an executive leadership team meeting at Chewy and you see their CEO or, or see their board in action and and, t- and hear them talk about yeah. what the decisions they make and how they sync up with their values. Now, of course, that's me going, oh, okay, in this fairy tale world I live in, <laughs> that's what they do in those meetings. Right. But somewhere along the line, I I have to believe it's been communicated here are the things we believe and we do. Right. And you don't even have to think about it. Well, not only that, not only do you not have to think about it, but you also don't have to go get permission and approval to act like a human. You know, in some organizations, somebody might think, yeah, we should probably do that. And then maybe three weeks later, somebody finally decides it's okay to spend $38. (laughs) In this organization, apparently, 
if something like that happens, you are empowered as a frontline employee to be able to do exactly what you think is the right thing to do. No questions asked. Nobody's going to come back and say, why did you spend this? You, or you've done it 10 times this month or 50 times this year. You know, it's the right thing to do. And you're, and you, and you're free and empowered to do that. And you're not going to be, it's not going to come back to bite you. Well, with that, let's wrap up this week's episode and head into our top three. All right. So great conversation. I think um, certainly as Madeline uh, um, talked about, especially around J&J, but certainly CVS and Chewy as well, you know, all of this sort of starts at the top. It starts with executives and it starts with, you know, how that understanding of what the brand is, what it stands for, what the mission, vision, values are, all of those things. How are those things not only being communicated, but being lived out every single day. And and the best way for that to happen is for it to start at the top with, with the leaders. And when we say top, we don't literally mean the top. It doesn't have to be just a C-suite. It's any of the leaders and the managers who are supportive of what it is the company stands for. Um, because so much of leadership, especially executive communication, is symbolic. And so the more that they demonstrate that, not just lip service and not just fancy slides and, and videos and PowerPoints, but the more they live that and the more it starts with them, the easier it is for it to permeate the rest of the culture. Number two, it requires meaningful values and a mission, purpose, whatever it may be. Case in point, CVS, we help people on their path to better health. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't get any more meaningful than that. Or looking at Chewy, putting people first, keeping it simple, earning trust, right? right? It's simple, it's clear, it's true, and it has meaning. Yep. And I think the third one, too, is, you know, sometimes you are going to have to make those tough calls. And many times, you know, what makes a tough call tough is that there are negative consequences to that, and there will be trade-offs, and some of those have fairly large dollar signs attached to them. But if that's what you truly believe, and that's who you truly are, and that's how you've positioned yourself not only in the marketplace, but inside the workplace as well, those trade-offs um, are going to be worth it, because you're, you're staying true to who you said that you are, um, and who you uh, want to be as an organization. Um, and so if you look at it through that lens, it's not really such a tough call at all. It's not a tough call, and the long-term payoff may far exceed than anything you had to give up in the short term. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It looks tough right now, but over time, when you look back on it, somebody will go, that was spot on. I'm glad they did that. Exactly. Exactly. That wraps up this week's episode. Thank you for listening and all the comments and suggestions we received. Please keep them coming through social emails, smoke signals, whatever you want. Head over to dolessbad.com. You can also reach us on Twitter and Instagram at do underscore less underscore bad with any questions or comments. All righty. Well, thanks so much, Madeline. And we'll be talking to you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, remember, doing more good can be just as simple as doing less bad of anything. Take us out, Jenny. You've made it through another episode of Do Less Bad, that podcast about how companies can do less bad in order to do more good. Check us out at dolessbad.com. Until next time, stop fretting over doing more good and just do less bad. Bye.